This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome back to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this final episode, Akron Khan speaks about the origin and development of his autobiographical solo Dash and the experience of choreographing a section of the London 2012 Olympic Games opening ceremony. I read that this idea to do a solo piece of your own mm. has been brewing for... Before zero seven, degrees. Before zero degrees. It was meant to be the solo at zero, instead of zero degrees. And then when I met Larry, I quickly grabbed his hand and said, no, nope, it's going to be a duet. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy this too much. And I think it was a fear. It was a fear of confronting myself. I think that's that's the... Especially in contemporary, I didn't know if I could do a solo. So it's different, of course, because you were also touring Yossis for a long time until your injury. So you were still, and you had done other, I remember seeing early solo work that you did in the museum in Montreal. And you, yeah. you'd, it wasn't that you hadn't been on stage as a no, solo artist. No, but I'm always with musicians. Uh-huh. I always have people on stage with me. And even even my contemporary solos that I did in Montreal, it was um, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not an hour and 25 mm-hmm. So I, I, I was and I was pretty terrified, not by the length of it, but by the fact that I, I have no one else to blame except me. But did you, did you, did you, I mean, so you didn't need to do it. You're afraid of it. You've got millions of other things, offers, you know, for the next mm. 15 years. What, what was it to overcome the fear or was it because the story needed to be told? Or? No, I wanted to do a solo for years. I, I, the thing I fear most is the thing I should, I know that I should be doing. Because I fear it because I, it's that thing, you know, uh, as I grew up, I, you know, I grew up in a community which constantly reminded me that I couldn't do it, you know, mm-hmm. especially academically. And we were very academic orientated. And you, you start hearing that from your aunties and uncles and your parents, father, and uh, long enough, um, uh, continuously, you start to believe in. So the thing I feared is that I, I, I know that I have to overcome it. So it was really about overcoming that fear because I, I had to prove to myself that I could do it. And I think um, the, the dish was really confronting my, my, my fear and my father. And your father. Yeah. I also read that it started as a story about your mother and ended up being Well, three quarters of the process, it was about my mother. And then the wonderful dramaturg Ruth Little and Kartigan Nair, my writer, the writer of Dish, um, said, there's something wrong, there's something that doesn't fit. And I said, what? We, we're, we're three quarters of the way there. And he says, well, it's everything you're avoiding and everything you are hiding is what the piece is about. And I said, what could that possibly be? And then the next day, they didn't have an answer. And the next day they came back and said, maybe it's about your father. Maybe the piece is actually about your father, but you don't want to tell that story. So we had three, three, two, three weeks left and we changed the entire script. Oh, my God. The entire show. And it just superimposed it to my father. 
And then we went, huh, yes, it now makes sense. So this was a, a real transformation from me being in denial still while I was creating. Because, um, you know, I put my mother on a pedestal. My father is nowhere to be seen on a pedestal in my eyes. He is, because he is me. I see me in him. I see him in me. And it's uh, it's the thing that you that you don't want, really. Somebody recently said to me, a choreographer in Toronto, said to me, there, uh, there was a critic with this this choreographer, and this critic said, um, "So you know, so you, where was your mother?" And the and the choreographer turned around t- to him and said, "She was in the wings." And I thought about it, and I never I never realized it. And he he asked me, "Can I ask you a question?" This choreographer asked me, and I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Was your mother in the wings of this because, um, you know, in most Islamic culture, maybe they're not allowed to come out in mm. front of." And I thought, what an interesting observation. I'm going to use that and say, yes, it was, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. I didn't plan. Because every time in Desh, my, I'm speaking to my mother, I speak to her in the wings. So there's this invisible character mm-hmm. in the wings. That's interesting. So she never but came into right this, but yeah. my father's right there. Yeah. 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 Huh. yeah, Desh was a very confrontational piece for my mother, I think. It, that's the funny thing about it. It's about my father, but my mother found it the hardest to swallow because it was so personal. And I think... Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy I did it because I, I also physically, um, you know, I, you know, I was talking to James Tichy for a while, uh, not so long ago. He made Raoul. That was also on the top ten list. Fantastic yeah, work. It's yeah, stunning. Yeah, gorgeous work. And we were talking, and um, you know, we were talking about how bodies speak back, you know, at a certain age. And so I thought, if I don't do it now, mm. if I keep running away from it, I'll never end up doing this one hour twenty minutes. But the funny thing is, this has now planted another seed because I'm going to make my f- final, last solo uh, classical. But it's going to be more in the direction of kind of Israel Galvan direction, which is not classical, classical. But that's why I'm using this opportunity to work with Israel to kind of inve- reinvestigate Kathak. So j- just one more word about Desh before we leave that, because I'd like to ask you about Israel as well. Do you feel, I mean, you've been performing the piece now for, is it two years that you've been Yeah, you've with been six it? months gap because right. of the injury. Right. Yeah. Do you feel that it's changed a lot? No, it has, yeah. Yeah. In what way? Um, there's more in it. I keep adding stuff in it. Up to the point where we where we decided, okay, this now by adding, we're taking away. So the work that I would have seen eight, ten months ago might be different than what we you see. You saw it in London? I saw it in, I saw it in uh, Montpellier. Oh, uh, no. That would be a similar piece. No, it would be pretty much close. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that I've added, mm-hmm. but it's only physically that I've added. Uh-huh. Um, not in terms of set. I mean, there's, a, you know, um, people go crazy. You know, producers like you, you've been very generous, but people are going, you know... <laughs> Um, oh, this this kind of opera set that you're bringing. I mean, like, how many dancers are there? Fifty? <laughs> no, one. <laughs> and they're like, what? All this for one person? Well, tell us about that working with collaborators. I mean, you're working with some heavyweights here. Yeah, At what point does does their vision balance out with yours? I mean, ultimately, are you the guy who says yes or no because it's your work and you're the one who's got to go out there and perform it? Artistically, yes. I say yes and no. Um, practically. Frug. <laughs> when, yeah, when it comes down to the money, but I said to Frug, this was the um, this was the condition I made with Frug. I said this is my full length, first full length solo, and probably the only one, which I'm now changing because I'm going to make another one. But it, at that time, it was the only one I was going to make. I said to him, 
there should be unlimited budget. Which means, of course not unlimited, but let's not think about the money for a change. Let's raise whatever the hell we need to raise to dream. To make this piece. To make this piece. Mm-hmm. So when Tim came on board, you know... This is Tim Yip. Tim Yip, yeah, the visual sonographer who did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And, you know, you, you tell him something. He goes, him being him, now that I know him pretty well, goes the exact opposite way. So you have to always think opposite to him. In the sense that I said to him, look, it's a solo. I'd like to do it in small spaces. You know, very toned down, small set. Something we can carry. He goes... Sure, sure. The next thing I knew, he made this operatic huge set. And I said, why did you do that? He goes, just agree to it, will you, artistically? I said, but I'm alone. He goes, that's exactly why I did it. Hmm. It makes you in the middle of this huge space. And that's what you need to feel. You need to feel abandoned. You need to feel alone. Because it's you finding, trying to find your identity in the middle of Bangladesh, in the middle of a field. And I thought, huh, that's pretty smart. Artistically... Um, so I stuck with it. So I agreed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I said to him, once we decided that, that uh, um, scale was very important because um, talking with Kartika Naya, the writer um, uh, of the show, we, we were really thinking, we were both fascinated, all of us, Michael Hulls, the lighting designer, composer Jocelyn Pook, we were very fascinated by um, the child voice and the child body because when we spent 10 days, Farouk and I, um, gathered all the collaborators and took them to Bangladesh for 10 days. And it was... This is an amazing story. I love this. It was this. incredible because we've never done that before. There was a lot of money spent just to go to Bangladesh and research um, on a project of based on Bangladesh. And um, we we literally had all these kind of sessions every day where we would meet farmers, fishermen, political activists, politicians, policemen, photographers, um um, <coughs> wives, uh, women who who have been abandoned, children who've been abandoned, and every day we would take our out our iPhone and either record sounds like Jocelyn was recording all the time, or I all of us would be filming. At the end of the day, every day, we had this amazing experience, and then we would gather together after dinner, and we would discuss what we saw. And they wanted to pinpoint things. They said, okay, what is the piece about? I said, F the piece. You know, I don't care about the piece. Let's just be open and just see what we experience. Let's talk about what we experienced. Because I don't know what the piece is about. Because it was amazing because everybody was a little bit pushing me to find what is the essence of the piece. And I kept on saying, I don't know. Let's just experience what we experience. Go away and reflect upon it. And maybe something will come through. I don't want to force something. And so I was really resisting the group in a way. Um, but at the same time, we were discussing, like, why the hell were we taking out our cameras and filming people um, without even asking them? Hmm. It felt like they were in a cage in a zoo that you do, and you take a photograph of an animal because it's like, oh, so cute. Yeah, or so. Yeah, yeah. But the next day, we would, we would all agree, concur, that this is not a good idea. And the next day, we'd do it again. We couldn't help it. We were attached to our technology. We wanted to capture. But I think it's because we were there for research. Mm-hmm. Well, and also it's like when you're touring and you take photos of, of of city streets and markets because it's so other than perhaps what you experience. You want these memories. Yes. So it's a combination of research and the things that are that are touching you but, and hitting you. But people. Yeah. How can you... F- Did I ask their permission? We didn't. No. And Tim was very, you know, 
he's amazing. He just literally sticks his camera in front of this stranger without even asking them. And so even we would be like, Tim, you know, maybe you should. And, but he has such a um, kind of Cheshire cat smile. He gets away with it. I mean, you know, they, they kind of connect with him because he has this innocence about him and naivety when he's taking photographs, very openness about him that people can relate and kind of accept him rather than punch him in the face. Mm-hmm. But there was one day we were in a village and I was taking a film and I was photographing at the same time on my iPhone this little boy who had sh- torn shorts, no sandals um, and bare chest. And I think he was a street kid. He was in a village and... Um, I just looked through the camera, through the iPhone, and I got very nervous because I felt he could see thra- straight through me. And it wasn't me observing him; he was observing me. Mm. And I felt he, and I felt afraid because I felt he knew who he was. And me, with all my experience, still didn't know. Who, I was still searching for who I am. Mm. And that really frightened me. So I put the iPhone away because he he spooked me. And I said, sorry, sorry, sorry. And as I started to walk away, he just smiled at me, took out his phone and started filming me. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> and I thought this kid, who I thought had nothing, has a phone, mobile yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a cheap mobile phone and started filming me. And that was where the bond started. That was my first connection with Bangladesh. This was three or four days into being there already that we couldn't connect. And that was my first connection. And I thought, huh, okay, it's kids that we want to really sh- connect with in Bangladesh because it's my childhood that kind of reminded me of my childhood with my father and the tension that I had with my father of mm. identity and you know him wanting me to be Bangladesh and I'd be like what the hell does that mean what does it mean to be a Bangladeshi man I've never grown up in Bangladesh I don't know anything about Bangladesh apart from speaking Bengali and listening to music and dancing and I'm, what does it mean I don't even know what it means to be British to be honest with you I've never been patriotic um, but I know, but I, but funnily enough, when I'm in Bangladesh, I realize how British I am hmm. or foreign. And when I'm in England, I realize how Bangladeshi I am. So if that's anything to go by, yes, then I know what it means to be a little bit patriotic, but I don't truly know what, it, I know what it means to connect with people. Um, but anyway, so that was, that was an amazing 10 days we had. And the, but these themes are what have, um, survived, if you will, have surfaced in what we see in the work. Absolutely. Very much so that, that sense of that identity and where you are and how technology affects Mm -hmm. one's life. I mean, um, we can, we can understand where those stories come from, but even if you didn't understand them, those are the things that you get from this very, very personal piece. Yeah. Um, I have so many more. We could talk for hours and hours, and I, I, I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't just touch on two quick more things. Yeah. You're, you're working on this new piece with Israel Galvan. Yeah. We're going to have Israel Galvan here for the first time in March first with his time. solo work, El Edad de Oro, which I'm so thrilled about. Yeah, it's amazing And piece. you and he together, I just cannot wait. We're, we've already got that slated in on our yeah. schedule for the spring of 16. So uh, um, I, I, I'm very curious. You'll have to give me an update on how that all goes. Have you have you done much work with him yet? We spent a, a week in Seville in the summer and a week just a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of you such magnanimous characters. I don't know about that. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'm, it's, I'm, I've never been terrified of another performer. He's the first one. He's a, he's a force of nature, mm-hmm. I have to say. And, you know, we, I, always, I, always give an, an, I always connect a performer or the person I'm working with to an animal or to two animals. So uh, one, the animal that we call him, we decided to call him, was the bull. Because he's like a torero. He's like mm. a bull. 
And um, he very sweetly, which I hate, called me was the holy cow. (laughs) 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 Because I'm more kind of like spiritual and laid back. And he's like a guy with a knife who's about to rip out your guts. You know, it's that flamenco tradition. Mm -hmm. Very macho. Very very macho. Yeah, dynamic and um, showmanship and... And it's funny because it reminds me very much of my um, when I was training around 18, 19, 20, 21, that period of my age, that age period where I was extremely dynamic. And that slowly fell through into more lyrical, theatrical stuff as I as uh, even through the company, the years of the company, I became less of a performer, more interested in as a performer than more as a choreographer and what's interesting is um he kind of kicked me back in to shape and it kind of made me go look it's either you do it on your own because all I want to do is just sit and watch you Mm. or I have to kick myself and get training and start focusing on me as a performer because you know you could see that he kind of made me jealous, really. I mean, it's envious because it's so beautiful to see he invests everything into his, into him and his body. And that's his world. That's yeah. it. You know, Larbi and I work with other companies, other situations like the Olympic ceremony. It's a very different take. And um, I think it's really nice to work with him at this period because it's inspired me to go back into me, not as a director of Dish, and a performer, but actually as a performer. Is that what made you decide you want to do yet another solo yes. work? And will the solo work be more contemporary or traditional or you know, neither? Or? To be honest with you, what Israel does is very different to me because mm-hmm. what he does is <clears throat> he does not leave the flamenco world. He's, 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 he's deconstructing the flamenco from within. I'm deconstructing Katak from, with, from the outside. Because actually what I do is contemporary work and I pull in my classical Katak influence. You once told me that you couldn't perform Katak and contemporary mm. in the same week because yeah. you needed to go back in the studio and train so much for Katak. Yeah. Uh, so it, it sounds maybe like that, this experience now is is leaving that it, notion behind to some yes, degree. Yes, exactly. Because he's done it. He's done it. And and to be honest with you, um, he's both contemporary and flamenco at the same time. The thing is, every, every movement he makes, I'm like, well, that's flamenco, but I've not seen that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's creating it as he goes along. I mean, his body is a creator of movement vocabulary that is uniquely contemporary and uniquely flamenco. It's It's inseparable. That's what it is. And for me, I've always separated the two. Well, one of the things I like most about you saying that there's another solo work in there is that every time you say to me, okay, I think I might stop dancing or I'm getting too old, <laughs> I get very upset. So, you know, inside. So I'm glad to know that that's not the case. Now, Akram, you've, you've, you've won you know, great accolades, wonderful acknowledgements, wonderful awards. We are just so thrilled to, you know, be on your, on your touring uh, roster. I, I wanted to ask the Olympics. I mean, this was such a big deal. You'll be happy to know that all of us in Canada got to see it. <laughs> I know there was an issue in the States, yeah. where CBC kept it on. We NBC, saw the whole thing. NBC, NBC in was in the States. In the we States. saw it through ah, CBC right. or CTV. Okay. I can't remember one of the one of the yeah. major networks. You know, did that? I mean, that must have been an incredible experience, and it was an incredible piece. Did it fundamentally change something for you? Yeah, in absolutely. In terms of scale, 
and what I want to do in, in, in what types of projects I want to do. I want to do big projects as well, not just um, projects in theatres. I mean, like the next company project is in the round. So, you know, it's the Olympics that gave me that, you know, that uh, me and Farouk, that kind of drive. Um, we're doing a piece on the Mahabharat at the Roundhouse and that will tour. So uh, I want to work on kind of large scale. Scale became a huge factor in the work. And it's funny because it just came just after Desh was created. And with Desh, it was all about scale. Mm-hmm. But then in the Olympics, you go, oh, my God. OK, what we imagine scale to be ratio is nothing compared to the Olympics because w- there were 50 of us. I'm telling you, there were 51 of us. And that's a big number. Very that's big. like a ballet company, mm-hmm. you know, a small ballet company. And on stage, except in the Olympic stage, we're like ants. So we had to reconfigure. I said to Danny, I went up to Danny Boyle and I said, Danny, it's not working. I've just seen the first restaurant. What the hell do we do? He goes, don't worry, run it, see how it goes. Just reformat it. So we went back into the studio, having seen what it did in the uh, dress run, and it didn't work at all. So we had to reformat it for um, that stage, which meant we had to change the choreography, not the movements, but the spatial awareness of it and stuff. It was phenomenal. It was extremely terrifying because you only have one go at it. It's not like you mm-hmm. have many goes no, at it. Exactly. No, exactly. No, the dress rehearsal is one thing, but then there's yeah. the event. The event. And, you know, you s- drop or you slip or the whole world will remember that, you know. Mm. So you get it right, the whole world remembers it. You get it wrong, the whole world remembers it. Mm-hmm. So it was quite, it was, it was, it was very humbling. And, uh, I, you know, I, and what's interesting is kind of offers after that project from kind of big, kind of, big sh- production shows mm-hmm. have come our way and that's really exciting we're doing some stuff in Asia and China and um, we're kind of in discussion with Tim of a big Tim Yip of a big project in China um, in 2016 so it, it's it's kind of in, in it's planted a seed in me that's fantastic well look you're not even 40 you've got mm-hmm. a, a new lovely baby in your life yeah. you've got a wealth of work behind you and a wealth of work ahead and I just uh, I want you to promise me and all of the people who are listening to this that uh, we'll get to continue to see you regularly uh, even while the Olympics are calling you to uh, various places in the world we want to make sure that uh, the National Arts Centre is somewhere that you can continue to come definitely Poss- possibly Thank next you. with Israel that would be great but yeah. uh, for the next 40 years at least okay 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> well I know I know we both have to be here for that long <laughs> yes, <but. laughs> <laughs> Thank you so Thank much you, for your Kathy. time. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That's all for this NEC Dance Podcast. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca backslash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media.
send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store, where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.